I feel so grateful to be speaking to you all tonight. Um, and just as John says sometimes on Sunday mornings, I don't think it's a mistake that each of us is here tonight. It's cold, it's a Wednesday in February, and we could be settling in at home, but I believe the Holy Spirit has drawn us here tonight um, to do something in us. And so I'm grateful. And I think on Ash Wednesday in particular, the Spirit has a really precious gift to give to us. So I'm looking forward to it. Um, you may not be too familiar with Ash Wednesday, and I know John gave a little intro about what is Ash Wednesday. I didn't hear it because I was messing with my kids back there. So if this is repeat information, I apologize. Um, but maybe you've never been to a service like this. Maybe you have seen people that have and have wondered, like, am I going to be the person that tells them they have a dirty forehead, or is somebody else going to do that? Um, but those are ashes, hence the name, and um, in a little bit at the end of this evening, we are going to have the opportunity to become the people with the dirty foreheads. Um, but what we want to do before that is just unpack the significance of this day. Why the ashes, and why is this an important thing for the church to do together every year? And I really think it is. So Ash Wednesday starts the 40-day prelude to Easter called Lent. Technically, it's 46 days. John and I looked it up this year. Um, but Sundays are not included in the count because they are considered resurrection days. So 40 days-ish to Easter. And Easter is the grand celebration, right? Um, Christmas gets a lot of hype, and it totally should. But Easter is really the banner day for the church because on Easter, we celebrate Jesus' victory over death, the establishment of his kingdom on earth, his invitation to new life both here and now through the power of the Holy Spirit, but also in the age to come when Jesus comes back and God will do for all of creation what he did for Jesus on Easter morning. So in that age, there's going to be resurrection everywhere. There's going to be a new heavens, a new earth, new bodies. Um, everything will be as it should. No more violence, no more sadness. So that's the huge celebration of Easter that we're marching toward. Ash Wednesday stands really in stark contrast because tonight we're going to talk about, as the songs kind of reflected, brokenness, sin, uh, mortality, the deep need that we each have for forgiveness, and transformation. Um, and so the days in between that we call Lent, um, maybe a little bit more familiar. Um, traditionally during Lent, people who are in the church will usually fast or give something up. Sometimes people will add something to their day-to-day, -day, maybe a new prayer or scripture reading routine. Um, but generally speaking, people will fast from something. And um, I think Lent, Lent ends up being kind of a re-up on New Year's resolutions. It's conveniently timed. A couple of months uh, after the turn of the new year, maybe some of those things have fallen by the wayside. And so you see, okay, whole 30 again for Lent. Or um, no Instagram. We're not yelling at our kids for Lent. Um, no sugar. Um, all of these would be great for us. It's a good idea. Um, I grew up knowing what Lent was. Uh, I only remember practicing it myself two times, really practicing it. The second I'm going to mention later, but the first, I was a senior in high school, and at the time, I was dating a tall, thin glass of water named John Odom. You may know him. Uh, we'd been dating for about a year, 
And at the time, my understanding of Lent was you just need to give up the thing that means the most to you. So as high schoolers go, John and I were madly in love. We were sending all kinds of notes through the underground attendance aid, you know, system to each other in class at Metro Christian Academy. Um, We were blowing up AOL with very sappy email exchanges that I was thinking about today. I'm very glad I don't have access to those. I think I'd be very embarrassed. Um, So I knew, okay, he's the thing I have to give up. I'm not going to break up with him, but just limit communication. So my rule was that we could not communicate with each other outside school hours for the 40 days or 46, whatever it is. No email, you know, no going to Nordagios like we were prone to do. Uh, I'm not really sure it did anything for my spiritual life. I think John's older brothers got to give him a lot of good grief, so they may have gotten the most out of it. Um, So I apologize, John, for putting you through that as an adolescent. He was very gracious. We made it. So, yes. Um, (laughs) So all these fasting examples, food groups or bad habits, um, boyfriends, as it were, I think can definitely be employed in a way that's really good for us, physically and spiritually. But if this kind of New Year's resolution round two kind of thinking is all we've understood Lent to be up to this point, then I think tonight our Heavenly Father wants to bless us with a fresh and deeper understanding. Um, So for the next couple minutes, I'm going to give a little biblical background for Ash Wednesday and Lent and then share two confessions that I think we can make in this season to prepare our hearts for Easter. So last year, if you were with us, we as a community walked through the whole Bible together. And how did it start? On page one of the Bible, there is creation and utter goodness. Everything is good that God has just made. People are made in God's image. We're living in the Garden of Eden. We have this important and creative work to do, making something of this fresh world that God has just made. And then there came this moment of doubt instilled by the serpent. What if we can't trust God? What if he's holding out on us? God told us, okay, we can't eat from that one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because if we do, we'll die. But the serpent said that, no, we're not going to die. We'll just become more like God. Okay, what if we can't trust God? What if he's holding out on us? What if God just has a big ego and he doesn't want us to become more powerful? Um, The irony is that we were made in the image of God. So out of everything that was created, we already looked the most like him. We already had the most power. Um, But we were greedy to be more like God. And instead, we got death. And so Ash Wednesday reminds us of this unavoidable death apart from trusting God. And for the Christian, apart from trusting in Jesus Christ. It's a day of confession. Ash Wednesday, in a sense, is a time to acknowledge that we were wrong in Eden for not trusting God. The serpent was wrong. We were wrong for trusting him instead. We actually did receive the consequence that God told us we would, which was death. He wasn't holding out on us. We did not become more like God, as the serpent said we would. We actually became less than we were. We became less than God intended that we should be. And the world started to spiral. And we know this. We still see this very much in evidence today. Um, Something is definitely not right in the world. If we do a little bit more reflecting 
um, have a little more reflective honesty, um, we realize that the source of the problem is with us. It's with you, it's with me. But that's kind of the rub because it's really difficult to be honest with yourself. The conclusions that you come to at the end of a really honest self-evaluation can be painful and depressing. And we like to avoid painful and depressing. Uh, but I think honesty is also difficult because it takes time. It takes intention. And in the hustle of the day-to-day, -day, you've got the kids, work, whatever you're doing, that kind of um, inner reflection kind of takes a back seat. And so this is what I think is the gift of Ash Wednesday and of Lent. It's time carved out on our, on our church calendar for reflection and for honesty. Honesty about our sin, the ways we've messed up, and honesty about the state of our soul. Uh, we live in a day and in a culture where image is pretty ultimate. Um, we put on a front that we're good, we're strong, we have it together, I don't need any help, I've got it. Um, and we do this without thinking about it, because everybody does that. It's just what you do. Uh, but inside, the reality might be that we are actually exhausted and tapped out. Maybe we really are in need of help, or we're desperate for relief. Uh, we could be discouraged by our sin. Maybe we've been hurt by other people, um, overwhelmed by our emotions, irritated by our personalities. Or maybe... Some of us aren't quite so image-obsessed. We're happy to admit that we aren't perfect, and maybe we do so frequently with the people around us, but we do it in kind of a laughing, self-deprecating kind of way. And I think this can be a, a little bit of a lazy honesty. It's like acknowledging it enough to appear self-aware and kind of get people off our backs, like, I know, I'm a mess, I'm working on it. Um, but not really being willing to do the deep work of figuring out what's the root of the problem and inviting God into that space to transform us. And so whatever the case for you, don't we know that it would be such a relief to take all of this dark stuff that lives inside of us and confess it to someone who could fix it? And wouldn't it be great if the one who could fix it was also willing to treat us with nothing but mercy and compassion and even fondness and kindness. To me, that sounds like good news. And this is our opportunity tonight. So I want to suggest two confessions that we can make on Ash Wednesday. The first is the confession of our sin. So Psalm 32, 1 and 2, yes, it's up there says, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. So the phrase, blessed is the one, here could maybe be rephrased, oh, the great fortune and the well-being of the one whose transgressions are forgiven. Or maybe the one who's really living the good life is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. The psalmist is basically saying, this is the person we want to be like. And if you've been with us on Sunday mornings the past few months, doesn't this language sound familiar? We've been kind of crawling through the Sermon on the Mount, and it starts with Jesus giving the Beatitudes, and he starts the Beatitudes, blessed is the one. And do you notice how just like Jesus telling us who's really blessed, the psalmist is reserving this blessing this blessedness for a very surprising group of people. It's not those who have no transgressions, who have somehow 
manage to avoid sin altogether because those people don't exist. Um, and it's not those who have managed to keep their sins under wraps, presenting this perfectly polished version of themselves to the world. Um, no, the psalmist says the ones who are blessed, who are even in a position to be envied, we want to be like these people, are those who know they have sinned, the ones who have confessed their sin to God and have been shown mercy. So if you used the Bible Projects Read Scripture app last year as we were going through the Bible together as a community, you may uh, be familiar with the name Tim Mackey. He is one of the founders of the Bible Project, and he's one of the voices in the videos that are embedded in the app. And he's also a pastor in Portland. And I was listening to one of his sermons recently on this very psalm, Psalm 32, and I loved the way he summarized these two verses we just read. He said, How fortunate are those who know they're not okay. They know they need forgiveness, and they know they have it. If you've ever wronged someone and have gone back to make it right, you've got your tail between your legs, you know that massive feeling of relief when they're just fine with you. They're gracious with you. You know they could have stayed angry. They could have given you the cold shoulder. And the fact that they're just they're fine. They're willing to continue in a relationship with you as it was is such a relief. And that is the happy reality of the person in this psalm. And so we read on uh, verses 3 through 5 about this same person, but before the confession. It says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. And then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. So before the confession, this person was miserable. In keeping silence, they were silently dying inside. This knowledge that their life was out of sync with God's design was heavy on them. It was a burden. And then they acknowledged it to God. God already knew this is not about giving God information he doesn't have already. It's about acknowledging and agreeing with the truth that God already knows. And in so doing, becoming just like the psalm says, one in whose spirit there's no longer any deceit. So freeing. And then look what this same person says of God. Just two verses later, this is verse 7. After the confession, he says, You are my hiding place. You, God, will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. A confession of sin offered to God is a confession offered in tremendous safety. Those who know they're not okay, who know they need forgiveness, and those who ask God for it are blessed. They're delivered out of their misery and... They're safe with God. So Ash Wednesday is a time to come clean. Um, Not to confess anything to God that he doesn't already know, but to unburden ourselves of that pressure that comes from hiding and pretending. It's a time to tell ourselves the truth and then just speak that truth to God um, and then just find him waiting there to be merciful, ready to heal, ready to extend forgiveness and compassion. So what are those things that you have done, maybe that you have avoided doing, and you just know 
It wasn't right. You've got guilt. What are those habitual ways of living that you're ashamed of? Say those out loud to God and ask him to make you clean again. 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sin, he's faithful every time and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us or purify us from all unrighteousness. So we need to confess our sin. It's one of the opportunities of Ash Wednesday as we lead to Easter. The second confession I think we are invited into tonight is the confession of our limits. So I told you about my first Lent experience with old John in high school. Uh, The second Lent I remember observing was about four or five years ago. Uh, We had two kids at the time, and they were either four and two or three and one, something like that. Um, I was working part-time, so I would spend a couple of days at work. I would spend the rest of the days at home with the kids. And you know, this was back in the old days when I thought it was possible to have two toddlers and maintain a perfectly picked up house at all times of the day and fold all of the laundry on the same day that I wash it and cook healthy meals and be a good wife and be reading one book for pleasure and one book for learning and continue all of my friendships in the same way that I did pre-kids and um, never let anything fall through the cracks at work and be a perfectly pleasant person to be around all of the time. And it didn't work very well. <laughs> and those who are in the room that, are, that know me well are probably like, were those the old days? Because they, they kind of sound like the now days. I've made some progress. I have. Um, and one of the ways I started making progress um, was during this Lenten season when I decided that I was going to nap every day for Lent. And this was a move of the Holy Spirit in my life because I was not a napper. Never had been. Even if I tried to lie down, even when I had babies, I did not nap. Um, When I tried to lie down, I was distracted. I couldn't fall asleep because there were so many things that I could be doing or should be doing, more importantly. Um, And so I wasn't able to do it. So that Lent, my rule for myself was I had to lie down on the couch for 30 minutes every day. And there were, there were no books, no screens, nothing even mildly productive. Um, just lie there. And I did this as a confession to God that I could not do it all. And I was trying to, and trying to was killing me. So this, is, this was my confession to God. Partway through the 40 days, something miraculous happened. I started falling asleep. It was possible. And napping to this day is my best barometer for the state of my soul and my body. So if I'm tired, and now I love napping, I'm kind of irritated when I can't do it on a given day. And I often can't um, because of our little people. Um, So God changed me. Uh, But if if I'm tired and I can't fall asleep, I know I need to look inward. So I'm either doing more than I should, and so I'm totally wired, Or more often than not, it's this next one. I have slipped into patterns of thought that are not compatible with surrender to God. And the consequences of that for me are unrest in my body and my soul. And so I wonder if you can relate to that. I mean, maybe it's not sleep, but could you identify patterns in your life that might reveal to you that you are not living within your limits? Or said another way, 
Are there patterns in your life that point to a desire or a striving for control that you simply don't have and won't have? Maybe it's control of your kid's success and well-being. Maybe it's control of your spouse's behavior, control of your body's health, control of your financial security, control of your image and how others perceive you, control of the spiritual health of those you love, control over the consequences of your behavior. I am clearly a person who loves control. I'm a classic bossy firstborn sometimes. And even though I know the right answer, that I can't actually control all my circumstances, uh, often my actions and my thought life have reflected a different belief, that if I just try hard and do the right thing, whatever the right thing seems to be at the time, then results will follow, at least decent results. Um, And for me, this facade, because it is a facade, of a controllable life, came kind of crashing down in a new way this past fall um, when we unexpectedly lost our baby. I was in the second trimester, so it was kind of the time where you breathe a sigh of relief and you think you're, you're out of the woods. And, you know, we don't know the reason that it happened, and so it's not something that I can work hard or do the right thing to mitigate in the future. And that's been a very stressful reality for me to process. Um, I think this, our situation grieved the heart of God just as he's grieved any time any of us have to deal with death or loss. He did not want that to be part of our reality. Um, but the gift for me of losing that facade of control in that way is that I am now in a position for God to gently, and he is gentle, to gently teach me in a new way how to surrender and let go. And he is doing that. He's doing it as we speak. I'm still in that process. We have a deep desire to be unlimited. We want to be able to do it all and look good doing it. And we want to be able to force the outcomes that we want. Um, But this is an idolatrous desire because only God is unlimited. And out of his limitedness, unlimitedness, he created us to be like him, yes, but also to depend on him. He gave us a full range of will, so we can choose not to do that. We can choose not to trust him, not to depend on him, not to surrender to him. He's not going to force us. But we are designed to depend on God and to take his provision and then to trust him to hold the world together. Um, trying to take more control than we have doesn't actually make us more powerful. It makes us break. So I wonder if you have ever loved or cared for, and I know the answer is probably yes, cared for someone who is maybe a little more obviously fragile. I'm thinking of people like babies, children, people who are ill, the elderly. We've probably all cared for someone whose human limits just stand out a little bit more. And can we imagine what it would be like if this dependent person who you were caring for denied their limits? If you can imagine trying to feed your baby or your young child and they said, no, thank you, I'm going to provide for myself. Um, Or maybe you're caring for a spouse or a friend that's ill And instead of, they're not taking your help, they won't take meals from you, they're still working as hard as usual. And in each of these situations, we would think, 
you're so foolish. Take the food, take the rest, take the help so you can survive. You need it. We often operate in a similarly misguided way. It's that same lie from the serpent that plagues us still today, but what if we can't trust God? What if we can't trust God to take care of us? What if he doesn't take care of the things that concern me? Won't things just work out better if I grab for control for myself? So as I've been working through all of this for myself in my own life over the past few months, I've come time and again to Psalm 103, which is what Madeline just read for us earlier. And I think this psalm can give us some really good words for our confession of limitedness. So this is Psalm 103, uh, 1 through 5 and 13 and 14. It says, Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him, for he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. And so notice who the actor is in this psalm, who it is who forgives and heals and pulls people up out of pits and provides the love and compassion that we need, satisfies desires, gives good gifts, renews people's vigor when they have become weary, it's God. And just like good parents have compassion for the fact that their children are limited and they provide for the things that those children can't provide for themselves, so God wants to do for us. And why? Because he knows how we are formed. He was there. He knows that we are dust. We're limited. And Ash Wednesday is a time for us to join him in this knowing and let go and put ourselves in a position of trust. So in a similar way that we confess our sin, we need to confess that we have often assumed ourselves to be invincible and limitless, and we're not. There are things we've held too tightly to, and we need to surrender and fall back into God's grace that is always at work to produce good, to work for good. He's always at work, we can rest and surrender. So what's that thing that you're trying to control that you can't? So you hold it in your mind and you say, God, I give this to you. I trust you to be faithful in this situation and I trust you to transform me along the way. And then you might have to say it again tomorrow. <laughs> and if you're like me, you might have to say it again on Friday and the day after that. We need to confess that we're limited. So we're going to transition here shortly to a time to receive ashes. And ashes are reminiscent of dust. It's that stuff that the psalm said we're made of. It's also a reminder of death in that to dust we return. You may have had a loved one who died and they were cremated. Their body actually turned to ashes. Or maybe you saw their body buried under the dirt. These ashes, are they remind us of a reality 
that we don't love to acknowledge, and yet the church has carved out this day to acknowledge and even to mark on our bodies the sign of our mortality. So when we take the ashes, we remember both our sin and our limitedness. In the presence of God, who was there when we we were formed, he made us, who loves us, who has compassion for us, and who's just waiting to heal and restore and be present and be merciful. Lent actually means spring. Um, Lent has been called the springtime of the soul. Uh, When I heard that, I thought it was a bit incongruent with some of these themes that we talk about on Ash Wednesday. But springtime on the earth is when new life just starts to break forth after winter. So spring always starts with just dirt, with just branches that have no leaves and no fruit. And this posture of confession that we assume on Ash Wednesday and during Lent is the soil, it's the dirt, into which the good news of Easter can be planted in us and take root in us. Because of what happened on Easter that we're going to celebrate in 46 days, Jesus' resurrection and later his ascension, where he, is now, he now sits as king over all, because of this, we now have the forgiveness that we need. We now have the opportunity to be made new. We now have the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit available to us to help us live. This is good news to celebrate, but it's only really good news to those who know that they need it. And so we're invited to come and take the ashes to know and remember that we do need it. We need the same power that raised Jesus from the dead to be at work in us, to make us new. So the Holy Spirit, I believe, is inviting us not to skip the honesty or gloss over the confession, um, but to really lean into the truth as we move toward Easter and put ourselves in that position, that posture of confession, acknowledging the truth, and maybe even for the first time. Um, I think that this could possibly be one of God's favorite times of the year, if God has favorite times of the year. Um, because I think he knows how high the stakes are. He knows how miserable and broken, just like that person in the psalm, that we will remain if we don't confess our sin. And if we continue to disrespect the limits of our control. And he wants us to have what we need. He wants to do what it takes in us to get us to resurrection that we celebrate on Easter. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I have in my mind the words of the centering prayer that we read together sometimes on Sunday, that you made us and you sustain us. And through your Son, Jesus Christ, you are rescuing us. By the work of your Spirit, you are renewing us. And so we come tonight to admit that we are broken and we need you. I pray that you would give us the courage to really lean into that confession and to make it a posture that we live in, not just throughout Lent, uh, but for our lifetime, a posture of acknowledging the truth that we need you 
and also finding that we have your forgiveness. Pray that you would give us that confidence tonight that you are waiting to be merciful and gentle and to heal and to transform us if we will just um, make ourselves available to you. So give us that courage tonight to speak the truth to ourselves and to you. Give us the courage to let go of the things that we are so tempted to hold on to. It's hard not to assume control for ourselves. Would you help us by your Holy Spirit to live within our limits and truly to trust you to hold the world together? I thank you for what you have done to rescue us from this situation that we are in through your son Jesus. We look forward to celebrating his resurrection on Easter. And as we move toward that, I pray that you would help us to um, just really take advantage of this time of confession and that you would use this season um, to be a significant part of our maturing process. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.